You're tuned in to The Show on the Road, a music discovery podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and artists from around the world. My name is Zach Lupitan. This week on the show, we feature a conversation I've been dreaming of having for many years, where I talk with a renegade root songwriter, not safe for work at all, self-taught poet, painter, and expat visionary, who has rarely played his music live or been interviewed at all, since for the last 30 years, he has lived in Nuremberg, Germany. But nonetheless, he has collected a legion of devoted fans like me after putting out a small collection of beloved albums and oddball singles on John Prine's Oh Boy Records, including the much-anticipated new LP, Every Which Way, which came out in June. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Reeder. It's probably a cliche question to ask, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you were stranded on a desert island, I mean Tom Hanks in Castaway style, when all you had to keep from going mad in your cave was a volleyball with a bloody handprint for a face and one artist's body of work, one songwriter, one collection of songs, take a second to really think about it. Who would you pick to keep you company for the rest of your days? For me, it might just be Dan Reeder who seems to scratch every snarling sonic itch I have and write songs that in just a few short lines, like in Food and Pussy and Nobody Wants to Be You, makes me both gasp and laugh, makes me realize how beautiful and unknowable nature is, how cruel and absurd our institutions of manhood and success and death and money and government are. Songs that make me mourn for fights I never got into, makes me miss unknown lovers I never kissed, makes me want to be a better person who is kind to animals and children and the sick while burning down the system all around me at the same time. As you can tell, Reader's music maybe isn't for everyone. For the uninitiated, diving into his uniquely absurdist harmony-drenched body of work can feel like reading a rich short story collection in one sitting. His normal recording routine, which he talked about from his ramshackle back house in Germany over FaceTime with me, is to layer lush close-miked vocals on top of one another, using himself as a kind of conspiratorial choir, sketching tiny but poignant moments from his life and imagination, often repeating a simple phrase again and again, like in one of his most listened to and most cryptic tunes, Work Song, which tells us bluntly through the backdrop of gospel clapping, I've got all the fucking work I need, which after a few minutes repeated over and over and over again sounds like a defiantly inspirational prayer to a god that has made us too damn busy and too distracted and too numb in these TikTok till you drop times. As a side note, yes, I have somehow gotten very into watching TikTok videos recently, and while these snippets of hot take activism, animal hijinks, cooking tutorials, and endless quarantine dancing should get old after a while, but they don't. Kind of like Dan Reader's songs, they're short and they're surprising, and I can't stop watching them or listening to them. Indeed, I find myself now at 2, 3 in the morning sharing beautiful and strange videos with our friends like we have our own language, kind of like we used to share magic cards or baseball cards. And I find myself waking up the next morning obsessed with a bagel recipe that I have to make immediately from yogurt and flour and sugar in a way that no bagel has ever been made. And if I look at it a little deeper, my relationship with TikTok is kind of like my relationship with social media and streaming music and all of it put together. I both despise that they are mining my personal data and selling my click choices to the highest bidders, but also I love the rich, endless entertainment that they bring me day and night. Do you have a moment to spare? Are you sitting on the toilet? Are you waiting for your car to get washed? Are you at the grocery store in the checkout line? Look down. Your fingers have a life of their own. And all of a sudden, you're learning about math theorems and about activism against Columbus in the 1400s. You never would have done this before. And yet here you are in Whole Foods learning something. And it's beautiful. And it's scary. 
and it's happening all around you whether you want it to or not. Yes, I could rail all day long about how Spotify and Amazon are fighting Congress right now to bring down the already criminally low royalty rates that are keeping working songwriters like me in the poorhouse. But I also have to admit how much their algorithms seem to work, seem to really know me. And I discover amazing artists and albums constantly that I never would have dreamed of hearing before. $10 for almost all the music that's ever been created? I hate that it's that good. But it is. Indeed, without some random Pandora playlist placing Dan Reeder's first self-titled record into my ears 15 years ago, we would not be here at all. My life would not be the same if I hadn't heard his music. Anyway, if you look at a picture of Dan Reeder sitting in his studio in Nuremberg, Germany, you would not think that he was a technologically savvy songwriter who uses more profanity than some rappers. He could be your kind-faced grandpa who enjoys gardening in his clogs, and yet somehow he is both old-school and defiantly new-school at the same time. Much more than a one-man band, Dan often builds every instrument he plays in his recordings, from steel-string guitars to banjos, drums, basses, cellos, violins, clarinets, and even the computer that he records on was built with his own hands. In the middle of our talk, he gave me a kind of tour of his backhouse studio where he films beautiful and strange green screen videos like he did for his tune Born a Worm, which you can now watch on our Instagram page and hear at the end of this episode. Yes, his album covers feature his own paintings and drawings too. For me personally, Dan Reeder's songs have been this beacon of humor, insight, and constant surprise during my most troubled times. Just yesterday, as I was feeling a bit lost in my pandemic-imposed rut, wake up, go to the grocery store, come home, watch Netflix, game over, his controversial yet gentle ballad porn song came on my radio in the car, and I found myself at a stoplight laughing so hard a tear came down my cheek as I passed the Rite Aid. And though the song is only a minute long, it made me realize why his body of work would be my choice companion if I was lost forever at sea. It never ceases to amaze me. There is just something about the way he sees the universe that I want to be a part of. Nearly 20 years ago, Dan took a leap of faith. He sent John Prine, one of his all-time heroes, and Oh Boy Records, his record label, a cassette of his weirdo acoustic demos, and just like that, he had a label and a kindred spirit championing his work throughout the world. And he's been creating music ever since. And I'm forever grateful to Oh Boy Records for helping me hear this artist that normally will get lost in the sands of time and obscurity. I spoke to Dan right after John Prine passed away from complications of COVID-19. And we spoke about how they toured together and how much Prine's music has inspired Dan through the years. Keep in mind that Dan and I were talking very far apart from one another. Uh, I was in California, he was in Germany, so there are some sonic glitches and delays now and again. Do me a favor, though. At the end of this episode, or right now, just listen to Dan's music. I hope it spins your head around a little bit like it did to me so long ago. Before I hand you over to the man himself, this weekend, July 10th and 11th, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be hosting Sway at Home Fest 3. That's our very own virtual music gathering featuring 14 amazing artists like the California Honey Drops, Gabby Moreno, Joe Pug, Dom Flemons, and more, including many guests who have been on this very show. It all starts at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, Friday and Saturday, on the Dust Bowl Revival Facebook page and on jamminthevan.com and their YouTube page. It's totally free, and since we cannot tour at all this summer, it is a great way to bring music fans and music makers together. And yes, in case you were wondering, Dust Bowl Revival did record two new sets of music. We snuck together, mostly six feet apart, 
and it felt amazing to play those songs with my friends again. I really hope to see you around the digital campfire this weekend. And as always, support the bands you love, especially during this time when they can't be on the road and see you in person. Anyway, thanks for listening. Here he is now, Dan Reeder. I inject your kryptonite into my brain. It improves my kung fu and it eases the pain during acceleration when the pedal hits the floor. This thing burns nitroglycerin and powdered C4 and drive a modified T-Series Lola It's kinda heavy but I like the feel When I say Vietnam it sounds just like Coca-Cola I believe most anything as long as it's not real and I My name is Dan Reeder. I'm a, an artist and a musician. I paint pictures and make music. And I'm in Nuremberg, Germany right now. Now, it's interesting that you say you paint pictures before you make music. You think that was an accidental clarification? Uh, no. Um, I do both. I, if I had said the other one first, would that have made a difference? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe... Maybe in our minds we, we actually believe that we're one thing over the other. I think I still maybe consider myself a writer, even though my dreams of being maybe a novelist or short story writer really ended years ago, probably, and I've been a professional musician for a decade, but in my mind it never quite switched over somehow. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, actually, I never took my musical career seriously until fairly recently when I started actually, like, making reasonable amounts of money with it. And I started off as a, as, a, as a painter. I went to art school. So I always thought of myself as a painter. But, um, yeah, in some years, actually, I make more money painting pictures than I do make with music. Yeah, I just never know. But I don't know. They're sort of the same. <laughs> How did you end up in Germany? I met a German girl in California. She was there as an au pair girl. And then she had to come back to Germany. Her visa ran out. And she said I should come to Germany. And my professors at the time told me, yeah, go to Germany. Europe is great if you're studying art. It's better than staying here for a semester or a year. But come back. And I just never came back. I mean, that's what love will do to you. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, do you think that they appreciate sort of your off-kilter vision over there maybe more readily than here? Um, you know, it's, it's more complicated than that. Um, I can't imagine trying to sell pictures in Los Angeles. But here, mm. but here, it's not all that extraordinary for somebody just to, like a, a house painter or a bricklayer to have um, original paintings in his, in his apartment. People buy pictures here. So whether or not my, my take on the world goes over better here or not, I don't know, but I don't, I don't think I could have done it in L.A. or in Seattle or anywhere, actually, in the U.S. Where are you from originally? Um, well, I was born in Louisiana, lived, till I was, hmm. lived there till I was three, 
Then we moved to Mississippi until I was six, and the rest of the time, Southern California. L.A., Linwood, and then uh, Orange. Wait, so you and Weird Al Yankovic are both from, were in Linwood at the same time, maybe? Oh, really? Is he from Linwood? So there was a great New York Times piece that came out on him, um, and it was talking about his sort of rise and his behind-the-scenes persona, because he's a totally different guy than his wacky, you know, accordion-playing rock and roll star that he's created from these parodies. But he has an album, I think, called Straight Outta Linwood. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> and, yeah, he that's, like, where he grew up, and he, you know, was, like, a suburban kid who never left his room, basically, as, a, you know, his parents were overprotective. And, well, you know... But that's... At that time That's in Linwood, it was a good idea to stay inside, actually. We lived yeah. on the corner where we lived. There was a, a little store and a phone booth, and somebody blew up the phone booth every year. Like once a year, that phone booth got blown up. So it was like you'd hear a boom in the middle of the night, and the next day there'd be like glass and the metal would be all bent. <laughs> why were they blowing up a phone booth? You know, I've never known why, but I can... Uh, I can tell you the corner. It's uh, Norton Avenue and San Jose Street. There's a little a little market called Norton Market. And there used to be a phone Now they don't have phone booths, of course. But there used to be a phone booth, and they used to blow the thing up all the time. It was kind of a gnarly neighborhood. It sounds like something that would be said in your song, Stay Down, Man. Yeah, well, I was actually, in Linwood, I was too young for Stay Down, Man. Like, if you would have stayed and gone to some nightclubs nearby. Yeah. You would have maybe persuaded someone to not get into a fight in the parking lot. Well, you know, at the the junior high school I went to in Linwood, there were fights every week. There was, like, Friday, there was Linwood Park, and there was a cannon, and the the people who were going to fight would meet at the cannon. And they would go meet at the cannon, and they would fight for maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds, and the police would come. The police knew that that's what was going to happen. Your your newest record that I got a uh, advanced copy from uh, the wonderful folks at Oh Boy Records. It's just been such a wonderful listen oh, for good. the last few days. Um, you know, we're stuck in this shutdown yeah. uh, for the COVID-19 virus, and it felt like reading a whole book of poems that could be sonically relayed into my brainstem. Oh, you that's know, nice. Because the songs are often, what, 58 seconds long at times? Yeah, you know, some of them are short. These snapshots of your life or these fantasies of <laughs> intense bravado or deep questions that maybe only children would ever ask, like Born a Worm, where you're asking, you know, how can a worm go to sleep, spin a cocoon and become a butterfly? Yeah. Like, what the fuck is up with that? You know, and we never question those type of things. It is so miraculous and that you somehow can pinpoint these these tiny questions that have huge answers. Yeah. And I love so much of what you do and I'm so I'm so thankful that I'm able to actually speak to you. I never thought I would ever actually be able to do it cuz I've been a fan of your music for about probably 10 years. All right. Well, I'm easy to find as you've discovered. Yeah, but usually when you see an artist who lives in Germany, you're like, "Well, oh well, I guess that'll, you know, that person's a mysterious, you know, hermit who probably is in a castle somewhere. Yeah, well, it's not quite that bad. The funny thing is, uh, there's a there was a band here, and they wanted to cover a song of mine, and they contacted uh, Old Boy Records in Nashville, and then Old Boy got in touch with me, and they live around the corner here. I don't know why they didn't just swing by. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's 
That's how it is. Let's go back to that song, Stay Down Man, because that scene, you know, you're talking about this nightclub parking lot, I think, outside L.A., right? South of L.A., yeah. And, yeah, and you put yourself, I think, in this role that I see in a lot of your songs where you're sort of the observer and the peacemaker of this chaotic world that is crumbling around you. And you're basically convincing this friend to try to not kill himself by fighting people. Do you find that you are that peacemaker in your life or is that a character you've created? Uh, It's a character I created. Though I was in that position, that song doesn't come out of nowhere. It's kind of a combination of a couple of uh, evenings that ended weird. You've probably had some like that. Have you not had some where there was like somebody holding a friend of yours up against the wall in the bathroom for some stupid reason? Has that never happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe not exactly, but I see what you mean. Nightclub parking lot, south of LA. The end of a long night, at the end of a long day. Warm wind blows and the palm trees sway. You've had that shitty look on your face all day I should have known this night would end this way Stay down, man If you get up again, they'll probably kill you Stay where you are I'll go get the car and we can go But I swear to God I'll leave you here to die If you say one more word to that I always remember this moment when we we toured with my band in uh, Bergen, Norway, and there there was a club that we played, and outside, the police were talking to a young man who was drunk and was kind of trying to fight Mm -hmm. some guy across the parking lot, sort of like the song. But unlike the police here, they're not armed. Yeah. And they actually have to talk to him like human beings. (laughs) And they basically surrounded him in this, like, cocoon of conversation. Yeah. And, like, within 10 minutes, he had calmed down, and they let him back in the club with his friend. Welcome to Europe. Yeah. You know, it actually, it happened to me in a bar once. There were these two guys sitting next to me, and they were arguing about politics. And I thought, okay. It started getting loud and louder and louder. I thought, oh, shit. This is going to end up in the parking lot. It's going to be one of those things. And then the one guy said to the other, well, it's, obviously that, it's obvious that we're not going to ever agree, so let's just quit talking. And that's what they did. I've never seen that happen in the U.S. They just they agreed to no longer discuss politics at the bar. Do you feel like your personality has changed since you, you've become a full-time... German? You know, expat? <laughs> um, you know, I've been here for 30 years, so... I, of course, have changed some. I don't know if it's because I'm an expat or because I've just gotten older. And I've, you know, I've also had three kids who are now an adult. That will change a person, too. I've been married now for 32 years. That will change a person. <laughs> so I have no idea what did it. Because your songs have a remarkable um, consistency, you know, from your self-titled record through you know a new century and and it's it's unmistakably you each time you're very consistent in how you record yourself how you 
tell your stories. And I'm, I'm curious how your recording process works. Cause I know you make a lot of your own instruments and your own mics and computers. Um, do you have a certain way that you get your voice and your harmonies to align? Um, you know, doing the harmonies is the fun part. <clears throat> That's actually pretty easy. You know, I've got, I use Samplitude. Just the software makes it easy. You, you, uh, well, what I do is I, are you talking about the actual recording process? That's like not a mm. problem. That's not a problem. I record like either a piano or a guitar and a, and a voice and then make another track and do a harmony on top of that or put a bass on there or do something else. You know, you listen to it and see what's wrong with it and then try to do something to fix it. I've also developed a system of crap averaging, is what I call it, where if a harmony voice sounds a little bit funky, then you sing the same voice again, and it's also funky, but it's funky in a different way. So you end up with sort of an average of the two fucked up things, and it's that works. But yeah, it's just uh, sound on sound recording. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, the doubling effect and the stereo effect that you have with your voice reminds me of a lot of like early Beatles stuff at times, where you can kind of have this... Um, harmony chorus of just a couple of voices, but it sounds big and lush, you know? Okay, I can also and, cheat. I've got a gizmo here that uh, helps me cheat. And I can also, if I want to, I just sing the, the main voice again and put one on the left, one on the right. That works. Sometimes you'll notice that the timing's not quite right. The phrasing is a little, little bit off. But that's really not a, yeah, yeah, it's not hard to do that. It used to be harder, put it that way. Used to be you have to fight with the equipment a lot, and now you can just go out and buy a, some USB uh, interface, and it comes with software, and it works perfectly from the beginning. <laughs> you know, I had a funny experience last night where I was listening to maybe my favorite song of yours uh, recently. Um, Nobody Wants to Be You was one of my favorite songs because it feels like what a lot of, I think, guys are not talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, where we put off this air that we're in control and that we're breadwinners and that we're, you know, going somewhere with our life, but really we're not really sure how we're going to pay the rent next month or, yeah. uh, you know, if people are going to show up and take away our stuff <laughs> and how our wife is going to feel when she, when she finds out. Our wives are going to feel when they actually find out. You're going to have to tell her where the money went, why you can't pay the rent, why you have to move. Gonna have to tell her what happened to the car and who those guys are in the living room. Oh, 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 no, but it wants to be you. And who's that girl who's been hanging around? The one in the white tube top with the tattoos. Why she's showing everybody her? What does that have to do with you? Oh, 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 no, but it wants to be you. Did you? But um, I was playing that song while brushing my teeth with an electric toothbrush last night, and the electric toothbrush vibrated at the exact same cadence as the song. Uh-huh. So my question to you is, have you ever tried some more experimental recording techniques and would you 
what would you like to try maybe in the future? Um, you know, I actually tried to make some <clears throat> dance music. I went to, I was sort of forced to dance. Normally I wouldn't dance at a party. I just don't like to do it. But I it was in at parties where it was sort of, uh, like it would have been weird not to dance. And it was like three of them in a row. And I noticed um, that some music you 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 can just ignore, like dance music, and some of it you almost have to dance. You have to get up and dance. So I started trying to make dance music, and I have no talent for it. It's like to get that beat that makes you have to dance. I just can't do it. I thought it would be easy. You hear it and you have to. You have to. You start just. You you have to dance. I can't do that. I don't know why. Um, <clears throat> other than that, I've got like well, I've got an accordion here. I've got. Um, various software synthesizers. Um, yeah, and I've used them for some things. But, yeah, in the end, I always sort of fall back on a bass and a guitar or a piano in the meantime. Yeah, usually your songs come together around a single instrument driving all the way through with a chorus of your harmonies sort of cocooning us in sound and then you, the narrator sort of telling the story. Um to, to, not to interrupt for a second, though, <clears throat> I've also noticed that um, I have no talent as a drummer. <laughs> I bought a set of e-drums. Um, it does feel good to play the drums, but it, I would never use them on my on my songs. It's just, it's terrible. It it's really terrible. <laughs> I actually was trying to record just me playing tambourine on a, a recording, and I literally could not do yeah. it well. I could not record it. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, gave up, but within, like, 20 minutes, I was like, this sounds completely terrible. It's terrible, I know. And you know what? There is, like, but, a specific skill yeah, that you hear. Yeah, some you people know, can fucking do guys. it. Some people, they do that. And if you can't do that... You're never going to be, I don't think you'll ever be able to do it. Some people just have a, they have like a gift for it. At drums, it's even more that way. I mean, I mean, you know, there's this standard thing where you go right, left, right, left, right, left, and then it should be okay. They use it on almost all pop songs. But if you actually play it back, you notice it sounds like shit when you do it or when I do it, put it that way. For folks who don't know, Oh Boy Records uh, is the record label John Prine uh, began years ago. And I think you were probably among the first people he ever signed, right? Um, I don't know. You know, um, well, for example, Chris Christopherson put out records on Oh Boy. Uh, Todd, okay. Todd Snyder put out records on Oh Boy. They were going to put out rec- a record by... Um, Oh, what's his damn name? This blues guy. And then they somehow couldn't get it organized. For a long time, I was the only, I was the only um, artist on Oh Boy other than John Prine. When Al Bonetta was running it, um, they just didn't, they weren't looking for other people. They didn't, they didn't actively look for anybody. They had me and that was it. That was it. <laughs> How did you connect with John? You know, I had made a CD, I made a record. Um, and I sent him one. I was going to send one to like all of my, all of my sort of musical heroes, but uh, John Prine was the only one I could find an address for. These people, they pretty much 
behind iron bars. Right. And um, it was actually sort of an afterthought. I put my email address on the bottom of the little, rat, the little note that I sent him. And they sent me an email that they wanted to call. They wanted my phone number, so I sent them my phone number. I thought they were going to thank me for the for the record. And then um, one night, actually in the middle of the night, it was like two in the morning or something. I'd just gotten home from a from a pub. I was drunk, and it was Albonetta. He wanted to put out my record, so it was like, okay, <laughs> that's how that happened. That's amazing. What year was that? Uh, that must have been either. 2001, 2002, something like that. Yeah. I mean, I've been told that that doesn't happen. That, like, just really never, ha- it does not happen. And it happened to me. So I go, okay. <laughs> I've also been, I mean, I've been, you know, I've been on tour with John. Um, when people, guys would give him a CD and we would listen to it in the car. And I have to say, most of them are really terrible. Like, really terrible. Just go, oh, dude, don't do that. And if I had, <laughs> yeah. if I had known how bad most of this stuff is, or, or, I mean, if if I were John Prine, I wouldn't even listen to this stuff. I don't think he always listened to him, man. He listened. We'd get in there, and he would, we would listen to him, go right through, go through the songs. Okay, we wouldn't listen to it all, maybe. And at some point, we'd go like, all right, that's not going to work. But he would listen to him. In the meantime, they have a little notice up on the on the website saying we do not solicit uh, music or something like that. Yeah, but they'll send it anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they do or not. But you know, we're all obviously reeling from uh, you know the news that John Prine passed away yeah. um, from this terrible virus. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on his legacy and his impact on you as an artist. Uh, well, he had he had a huge impact on me as a as an artist. Uh, if I sat down, it's still that way. If I sit down with a guitar, I'm not going to play my songs. I'm going to play a John Prine song. Um, and of course, he actually basically gave me a musical a career as a musician. I wouldn't have had a musician a career as a musician without him. Um, he also gave me the opportunity to, to. I toured with him. I opened for him thirty times. It was like, uh, yeah, he just invited me to come along and try it. I said, dude, I don't do that. I've, I'm not a live musician. My attitude was, I finish a song, I'm done with it, I never have to sing it again. Uh, that's the end of it. And then I had to. So it was kind of a new thing for me. Um, but that's because of John Prine. I mean, yeah. Where did you guys tour, in the States or in Europe? The first time I toured with him, we went through Canada. We started in Halifax and went all the way across to Edmonton. Um, and then the next time was in um, yeah, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And then um, one time, or maybe was it was twice, <clears throat> must have been twice, we went up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Washington, well, actually sort of just Northwest like Butte, Montana, and um, Seattle, and just up in that area. Though we did one gig in Southern California, in Cerritos, California. I remember that one because uh, the people in Cerritos, it's a very conservative part of Southern California. It's like Orange County. And they were were concerned that uh, I cussed too much on stage. So they weren't sure if they wanted me, and I told John, dude, if they don't want me, that's fine. I'll just I'll stay home. I'm fine with that. And he said, no, 
Dan Reeder is a relevant contemporary songwriter, <laughs> which I still remember. Man, it was like that's that's like uh, being knighted to be called a relevant contemporary songwriter by John Prine. Well, in many ways, when I try to describe you to people, because I've been trying to spread your work for last decade, and a lot of people in the states still have no idea who you are, which is offensive to me. Um, and <laughs> to me too. No, because. <laughs> In a way, you're almost like a John Prine alternate universe, or almost like a John Prine through the funhouse mirror, in a way, where you guys are both sort of telling this certain type of truth, but I think you maybe go to some places that most people would not dare. And I think I can understand why people in Cerritos, California, might be a bit concerned if you got out there doing a song like Food and Pussy, one of my favorites, you know, which I actually used Food and Pussy as the uh, soundtrack to a play that I wrote uh-huh. <laughs> eight or nine years ago. It was about male eating disorders. <laughs> Two friends who are dealing with uh, one of them refusing to eat and the other one is basically ha- teaching him how to eat again. And as this catharsis happens on stage and the lights went down, we would go into your song, Food and Pussy, and the crowd would gasp (laughs) every time. Mm. And it really solidified, though, what the story was about, which Mm. is this primal battle between pleasure and pain and uh, the need for gluttony, almost, that we have inside us. What do you want? I want food and pussy. How come? It's just the way God made me. Is it all right? I guess I must be okay. Who bop 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 shang lang lang lang. What do you want? I want food and pussy. How come? It's just the way God made me. Is it all right? I guess it must be okay. Who bop 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 shang lang lang lang. Um, and I think you have these, again, these big questions asked in these small, simple ways throughout this new record, for sure. Um, the song, I think, maybe that sums up, I think, a lot of what I love about your work is uh, love and hate. Oh, yeah. You know, 58 seconds, right? Yeah. Is it 58 seconds? 58 seconds long. 58 seconds where you ask these questions like, you know, why are love and pain going together like thunder and rain, you know, uh, love and contempt, you know, like boxing and glove. It's these interconnected darknesses that lie within us. Yeah, I was real proud of that song. It's not getting as much much play on Spotify as I thought it would, because it's a good song. Why did you only write it at 58 seconds? Like, what if that was a full like rock and roll rager at, at three minutes. All right, the the way that works is when you're done, you're done. So you should just quit when you're done. To I've, I've, I uh, have done it the other way, where I sort of artificially extend the song. You put a, you put a little shitball guitar solo in there or something, and then, but if you're done, you should, you should actually quit. That's what, I, that's what I really believe, and that's how I approach the thing. If I'm done with a picture, I quit painting. It's also that way. I think it's a mistake to just uh, assume that a song has to be two minutes and 30 seconds long or three minutes long. 
Um, you know, I still do it sometimes because otherwise you have to have 50 songs for a record. But, but basically when you're done, you're done. And that, in that case, uh, yeah, I don't even resolve the, I don't even resolve the chord pattern, I don't think. Right. You get to the point in Love and Hate where, you know, your wife or, or the woman in your life sees this small m- mistake that you've made, you know, of misplacing the insurance papers, but it becomes this Greek tragedy elevated to massive status. Man, and I think that's, yeah. <laughs> we've all been there in yeah. a way, but, yeah. um, is there something that your wife gets mad at you most about? I was going to ask. You know, we've been together for a long time, so we just don't get mad at each other anymore. We tease each other about uh, our little failings. But, um, well, she'll claim that I see, but I don't see. Like, I'll look in the refrigerator, I'm looking for ketchup, I just don't see it because it's behind 500 other things in there. And she sees it immediately. She knows exactly where it is. Yeah, or... We have bowls that have to be stacked in exactly the right order or the system breaks down. And sometimes I try to do them in a different order so the system breaks down. And she thinks, what's the matter with you? You know, little shit like that. You, everybody Does everybody have that? You haven't learned the German uh, efficiency yet of st- bowl stacking, yeah, perhaps. You know, I really haven't. What what brings out a song like Love and Hate? Do you remember the moment where that song started blossoming in your brain? Uh, yeah, I can sort of remember it, but I, I can't describe it. Uh, it was like I noticed, okay, this one's going somewhere, so I'll, I'll finish it. Like a lot of times I'll just sit around sort of playing with the guitar and sort of singing nonsense, um, and then something will pop into my head and then it'll be replace the nonsense and then I can tell if it's going to go somewhere or just not go somewhere and that's the beautiful thing about Instagram by the way is that even the ones that don't really go anywhere (laughs) you've got a 60 second where you can make a 15 second song Uh, and I find that wonderful Uh, the Instagram and of course you have to make a video but who who you can make a video I've been doing with like sock puppets Uh, yeah it's wonderful just just Little things that don't really go anywhere you can you can make into Instagram uh, things. Well, I think someone on your Instagram the other day saw one of your posts that you did just using a, a zoom in and out on like a, a girl in a bikini. Oh, it's, a, think, it's a little a watercolor, yeah, a little watercolor picture. It goes so dun, 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 dun. And they were like, well, where's the rest of the song? And you're like, well, that is the that whole song. That is the song. It's a minute long. The song's done. <laughs> well, you can't, I think that's all you can do on Instagram. 60 seconds. That's the that's the limit. Well, you can now have the Instagram TV where it can be as long as you want. Well, I'm not going to do that. I like the 60 <laughs> second rule. That works for me. Love and hate go together like hurry up and wait like too little too late for you jump you always hesitate just feels sort of natural Love Amazing in grace, man, you should have seen her face. 
Another artist that passed away in this last week, um, Bill Withers. Oh, yeah. I always admired him for his brevity. You know, uh, Ain't No Sunshine and Grandma's Hand, some of these songs that are just implanted in my brain yeah. are a minute and 59 seconds yeah. long. Yeah. These are huge hit songs that you hear on the radio every day driving around in your car. Yeah. minute and 58 seconds. Yeah. Like, I don't even know how you pull that off. It's a Incredible to me. So the the opening song on the new record, uh, "Raft to Freedom," oh yeah, uh, tells the story of the, you know this urban environment that has this beautiful river th- flowing through it, but you're not allowed to ever enjoy the river. You can't go in a canoe. You can't swim in it. It's sort of the predicament of a lot of these parts of our modern life that we never ask, like why can't we jump in the river and, and enjoy it. Is there somewhere near your house that you like enjoying nature? You know, do you go outside and, and oh, yeah. explore? Yeah. About about the river, though, um, it's been that way with every river I've ever lived near. It's all even in, in the United States. It's the same way. If there's a river, it's you know. I mean, I understand why you've got boats there. You've got problems. You got this that, and your thing. People own parts of it. Parts of it they got cement, so you can't get out and blah blah blah. But it's always been that way. Every river is completely controlled, you know, with, with there are like rules and I, you don't even want to know the rules. Who knows? How, do you, how would you even find out what's allowed on that river or not? But there's a river in Nuremberg too. Um, and I wouldn't even, actually there's one place where I think you can go swimming in it. Between here and Furt, there's a little, like a little beach where it's real wide and sort of slow. Um, yeah. But uh, as for nature, you know, I lived for three months in Durango, Colorado, one time when I was nineteen or twenty, and yeah, great, great town. Yeah, beautiful man, beautiful place. Just these bees, well, the rock right you're right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, um, and we went for a hike one time, and I mean, it was like there's nobody else there. You're out in the middle of nowhere, right? And if you break your leg, you're going to die. It's pretty clear. Um, and here, what they do, and I find it uh, a nice way to do it, you can, first off, you can walk through anybody's land. Of course, you can't walk right through a planted field because you're damaged, you can't damage the crops, but you can walk anywhere else. Really? Um, so, so you can sort of um, go for hikes through nature here. And what people usually do is you go for maybe and walk for maybe an hour or two, and then you go to a, to a pub. <laughs> And drink a couple of beers and have some cake or or eat some food. And two hours of nature is actually, it's enough for me. I don't need a life and death uh, mountain experience if you get down to it. An hour is good, two hours is okay. But then I want a beer after that, not some fucking rocky, rocky place to sleep after five hours of hiking through the mountains. Yeah, I think... There is a unique, odd thing that humans do where we put ourselves in more danger than is necessary to get some sort of primal thrill because we've lost some part of our caveman explorer selves, you know? (laughs) Well, I don't need that. Uh, Well, I think a lot of Germans don't need it. They, They do it in a sort of a civilized way. You go out there, you walk around in the forest, and then you're done walking around in the forest. 
<laughs> well, I always joke that, you know, when you go to Switzerland or in Germany mm-hmm. and, you know, there's these beautiful mountain cafes where you hike up the, the mountain and then you can have some strudel and a beer and yeah. and then you go back down. Every time we go on these hikes in California, you get to the top and there's there's, no- there's nothing there. <laughs> and you're like, man, I could really go for like a lemonade and piece of pie right now. That's like that place in Switzerland. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. There seems to be this running thread through a lot of your work, but especially this new record of testosterone as a character. <laughs> okay. Like, yeah. <clears throat> like it's a mysterious entity that is both waxing and waning and maybe disappearing, obviously, as you grow older, but that you want to assert your dominance as a man or show how strong you are. You know, there's a song called Pussy Boy yeah. on the new record that you have to sort of prove yourself that, you know, just because I sound like this when I talk, I'm actually I'm a gnarly someone man. to be feared, <laughs> you know. That's right. Or like jail jail time, you know, just, you know, where you're like, I'm going to kick your ass and you yeah. should fear me. Yeah. But you're singing it in this sort of gentle, harmonic way. Um, you know, that's, I have to say, that's, wh- wh- that song I actually wrote for my brother. We used to, he's four years younger than me, and we've always had this fun sort of banter going back and forth, like, I'm going to kick your fucking ass, so do what I tell you, right. that sort of thing. You have a brother? I have a younger sister. Okay, well, that doesn't count, see? <laughs> no. Uh, it's a brother thing. You, you, you do that with brothers. And that was actually, that one was for my brother. He doesn't know it, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's like sort of fun, just sort of fun, like the uh, sort of macho vision things. Well, I know that you know, if I catch you, I'll kick your ass. Last time I took it easy on you, but this time. Yeah. 
there was a there was a piece I'm trying to remember maybe in the New Yorker about people who are transitioning you know from female to male or male to female and the sort of transitions that they're feeling hormonally and emotionally physically and there was this one story about a woman who was finally becoming the man she always wanted to be so she was taking testosterone and she was on the subway in New York and she was suddenly flooded with these just violent urges and explicit thoughts about everyone around her. And obviously, and she would focus in on some of the young women who were dressed in their summer clothes. And she both had empathy for a lot of the men in her life, but also was almost more terrified of her becoming them, of her becoming this sort of uncontrolled testosterone beast. It's like that she couldn't control how much she wanted to just, you know, rape and pillage this whole train car, you know, just from these little hormones going into her body for the first time. Yeah, we know about these hormones, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about something else. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, let's just go there. Let's let's go right to the porn song. All right. I mean, this is a, a one of the singles for the new record, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> what, did you suggest that Porn Song come out early, or did, did Oh Boy <laughs> select that? Do, are they ever afraid that people will be turned away or pissed off or any, you know, are there controversies that have come from your music, like Porn Song? You know, Porn Song, actually, um, Eileen, first time she heard it, she said, we can't, we can't put that out, you know. Did she actually come from a dick in her mouth? We can't put that out. <clears throat> and I said, you know, all right, uh, that's fine. Uh, I think it'd get a lot of clicks. I think people would just click on it because it says porn song. Uh, <laughs> the thing about it is I wouldn't hesitate a, for a second to to paint that uh, in one form or another. Not for a second. That would be like, of course, why not? But... Um, if it's going to be on a record, if first off, what's going to happen is they're going to put like explicit label on there, um, and then sometimes they'll put an explicit label on the one song, and then they'll put an explicit label on on songs that are not explicit at all, because they just think, well, this guy, everything he does is right, you know. Um, and I think, man, what I do is so mild compared to Straight Out of Compton or some of these some of these rappers. It's not even it's not even comparable, but they've never actually uh, they've never actually tried to stop me or they've been very cool about everything. But I think there is an actual deep question centered in the middle of of this brief porn song. You know, sort of why are we watching these fake displays of pleasure, and why is that what gives us pleasure? the idea that this woman in this video is somehow enjoying herself in a way that no actual woman probably would be enjoying herself. Yeah. You know, like like maybe, maybe somewhere there's some woman who, who does, but I never met her. (laughs) I look, you know, and you just go, "Mm, I don't think so. I just, no. Yeah. Did she actually come from a dick in her mouth? 
Well, I don't believe it. I suspect she's pretending just to give this the ending. We all want to see. Because if she's done, then so are we. We can roll over, go back to sleep. Did she actually come from a dick in her mouth? Well, I don't believe it. But do you feel like living in Nuremberg, there is, um, is there any echoes of what happened there? From, from those trials from the Holocaust? Is there anything that echoes in the community about that still? Oh, of course. Um, you know, Germans um, have really put a lot of effort into looking into that time and, uh, and uh, like the Nazi time and what happened and how it happened and how to prevent it from happening again. And the room where they had the trials for those guys is in Nuremberg. Um, I think it's Saul 602. And when when people come um, to visit Nuremberg, they come, there's actually like a, a harbor here, a river and a harbor or a canal and a harbor. And they come in these ships and they visit Nuremberg. They come on buses and they can either go look at the downtown area or they can go look at the um, Doku Centrum, the, the, where they document all of the Nazi stuff, or... They can right. go to the courthouse and go look at the, the the room where those big Nazis got tried. So that's like always there. That's something, you know, the Germans have been very, very, um, they've put a lot of work in to that stuff. And, they're, and they're, it never goes away. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, I would only dream for many parts of our country to be on that same wavelength because we have a very defiant backwards view of a lot of our history where we refuse to acknowledge our wrongs and sort of double down on the greatness that is, that's like we have to double down on saying how great we are instead of acknowledging that, you know, we created this country by taking, honestly, indigenous people's lands, creating a an economic system of slavery. And I think in certain parts of this country, we are confronting it. And then in other parts of the country, by confronting it, it feels like we were like ashamed. We have to be ashamed all the time. And I think maybe the Germans in, in other countries are more okay with their own shame. Maybe that's sort of okay, the way yeah. you can get through it. Yeah. Um, See, that's where the, the ultra-right in Germany is also sort of coming back. And, I, and a lot of it is because they're sort of sick of the shame. It's like, yeah, okay, we did that, but um, uh, enough already. Because it really it never goes away. So they, they're, sort of, they're sort of sick of that. And I'm not saying that that's a justification for, their, for what they're up to, but that, that's, that I think is part of the attitude. Let's go back to your new record and a song that intrigued me, the song four in the morning. Do you actually get up at four in the morning and stare out your window and wait for the sun to rise? Usually I don't, but I have. Yeah. And it's sort of a, yeah, I think actually that song describes how that is 
when you get up, you didn't really want to. Um, if my wife, my wife sometimes has to go out of town, um, I, will, I might get up at four in the morning. I, if my wife were there, I would not do it because she would like want to know what I'm doing. And but but yeah, I have. And we have a cat. And even though there is no table actually next to the window that I was standing, the cat was next to me. And um, it's like she gets it. She's like, oh, okay. We're we're up now. <laughs> That's all it's about. The song reminds me of almost like a haiku where it, where it has these sort of repeated or this, this one simple structure that maybe tells this one specific truth, but we don't really know why you're telling it. You know, why are you getting up that early to wait for the sun to rise? And there's this melancholy for me of this sort of lonely person in the dark and maybe the cat is sort of the only companion who can keep you company. Then even the cat disappears and it's only, it's only you alone in the dark in the end, which is maybe how real life is. That is how it works. Yeah. Uh, have you ever gotten up at four in the morning for no reason and just sort of looked out at the window at four in the morning? There's like nothing going on. It's very, very quiet and there's just nothing going on. And if you decide not to go back to bed, uh, for whatever reason, then you're just going to sit there. Uh, have you ever gotten up really early in the morning to go fishing? No. Never. Okay. Uh, we used to do that sometimes. Do you go fishing? We used to. In Southern California, we'd go down to uh, Redondo Beach and rent a skiff and go out and, and go fishing. And we'd, we'd always get up at like four in the morning. And that was also a, wow. that was also a sort of a special atmosphere. You get up really early. You have one cup of coffee, and you have to pack all your crap up, and then you head out. And it's a—it's just a special atmosphere. What did your parents? What did your parents do when you were growing up? Uh, my father was a minister, and my mother was the secretary at the school. Or actually, at several schools there in uh, in Orange. Were they musical at all? Yeah, my mom played piano. In fact, my mom played piano in the church where my dad was the minister. In Mississippi, at least. It is interesting. There's been a correlation of, of a lot of people I've talked to on this podcast who's, they have a minister or a pastor in their family that almost like there's this genetic seed inside us where we have to perform. Because I, in, in a way, a minister is a performer every day. Mm-hmm. They're on the you know, pulpit there. Mm-hmm. But you're doing a much more secular, poetic performance. Um, did your dad it's ever hear sec- your music? It's secular, but it's, but it's preaching. Yeah, he's heard it. I don't think he likes it, actually. I think he's a little bit, <laughs> yeah. I think he's a little bit offended by some of it. Though, mm, though not like you, not like, uh, not like in that, like sort of the footloose way, but in sort of, uh, I think it just irritates him. Is he still around? Yeah, he's around. He's 93 years old now, and he's uh, demented. And right now, he's, he had a stroke, and he's in a home, and he, we can't visit him, or my brother can't visit him because of the corona thing. So it's kind of a right. weird situation right now. And it's probably going to stay weird for a while. How has your life been transformed by this COVID-19 shutdown, or has it stayed more or less the same? It's 
kind of the same in what I do. I come to the studio every day um, and mess around. What I don't do, of course, is go to pubs. I also sing in a choir, and that is not happening now, which is really a drag, because that was sort of our, we go and, it's a church choir, but um, we, we go and we sing for like an hour and a half, and then we go and drink beer for three hours. And it's very, very nice. It's like you go and you have a couple of beers, and it's just a, just sort of a fun social thing. And that's not happening. And I noticed, uh, I was walking home, and there was a guy from that choir. He saw me, and he stopped. And I was like, oh, I wanted to hug the guy. I mean, I don't really like the guy that much. I wanted to hug the guy because I hadn't talked to anybody in real, like, face-to-face for, like, a week and a half. And then the right. choir director came riding by on his bicycle, and I saw him. I was like, oh, and I wanted to hug him. And was, I just, oh. Uh, I didn't think I liked people, but actually I do need a certain amount of sort of social contact, like just sitting around chatting about whatever with people I really miss. Right. Yeah. That has changed. Well, that is, yeah, that is sort of the one thing I miss most is just being able to go somewhere nearby with a friend just spontaneously and be like, yeah, let's just go and sit outside and have a drink and do nothing yeah. with other people. Yeah. You can't do you that now, no. And I don't see, I don't see, how, he, I don't see how this is supposed to end well. I mean, if you, if you let people get, go back out and meet each other, then the numbers are going to go up. If you don't let them go out and, and go to work and stuff, then everybody's going to be broke in a couple of months. I mean, I know a lot of people who basically live from month to month. Um, who's got who's got enough money to just to just uh, not work and not have any income? And a lot of people are in that position right now. I, I don't see it ending well. I just don't see it ending well anywhere. Yeah, I think there's a a reckoning with our broken economic system, especially in this country where. You know, most of us, especially who try to make a living in the arts, every month is an adventure, to be real. And I have a wife who works, you know, at a public radio station, so she's not super wealthy, but she has a job where she can work from home. Um, But that is also getting hit. And we don't know if that's going to be there in a month and a half, two months, because we have no idea how this is going to progress. And there's been a lot of beautiful, you know, coming together for artists, organizations like Music Cares and Sweet Relief have sent money to help us with rent for a few months. But after May and June, if this keeps going with all of our music festival income, all of that is canceled. You know, it basically is forcing me to realize that I have to probably find a new profession. You know, you know, that's not going to work either. You know, uh, well, we'll see what happens. But at a certain point, if I, if I can't work into the fall, then that's when I'm saying, like, I will always make music. I will always uh, have to create songs. That's sort of in my blood at this point. But I think I got complacent in that, oh, yeah, this sort of uh, routine where the seasonal work will return spring comes the festivals and all these things happen where the money comes in and i i've created a situation where you have too many eggs in one basket you know and 
that's that's the thing that's scary is you realize you have to reinvent yourself overnight to become, you know, a multi-hyphenate breadwinner where it's like, you know, you can you have to do this and this and this and this. And, you know, I'm trying to create things like a a songwriting tutorial course and, and different things online, which looks really cool, except that no one's actually buying it. <laughs> so if no one buys it, it's not going to be sustainable. And that's what was so, you know, sort of sad about losing a lot of these music festivals is that those things are an evergreen product. Every year people want to go out into the mountains and listen to their favorite bands. And my wife, my wife is a teacher. She teaches German actually at the university here to foreign students. Hmm. Um, and now they want to do like everything online. Okay, well, these teachers, right. these teachers, first off, don't know how to do that. Second off, they don't want to do that. They like, they like contact with people. Uh, my wife will tell you that it's extremely important that you make like eye contact with the people and you find out, right. kind of see what they need and stuff. And thirdly, um, you see your, your online uh, course, nobody wants to buy. Um, at some point, you're just sick of looking at a fucking, at a fucking monitor, a computer monitor. Right. Um, I, think, I think right now, the next few months, they're going to be, be trying to do a lot of stuff online that isn't going to work very well online. Um, yeah. Everybody's doing it. it I, I'm really wondering if, if, the, if the network is going to just collapse here. I mean, everybody at night is watching, is they're watching, they're streaming videos. You know, I mean, that's what I do. I watch Netflix. Um, I, I just don't see it. I don't see that being uh, anybody's, anybody's future, the, the online thing. It's just too limited. You get sick of it. I'm sick of my own home cooking right now. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I love, I love cooking. I love cooking so much. But man, at a certain point, you're like, I think I've reached my limit. Let's go to fucking Burger King. We'll drive through. They'll let us drive through. Yeah, something. Yeah. I know what you mean. What are the shows that you're watching on Netflix in quarantine right now? Uh, what are we watching? Good God. Um, we started watching a, a series called Community again. That was fun. Okay. Or is fun. You know Community? It's about a community college. Yeah. yeah it's, God, we watch, we watch everything. I mean, really, like... Everything. <laughs> uh, we watched a movie. Actually, it was not very good. The Martian, about this guy who got left behind on Mars and had to... Uh, right. Yeah, you know, it's like, do something. Watch something. But... Let's go to my... Let's go to my... One of my last questions, which is, if you were to create your own music festival, the Dan Reeder International Space Music Festival, the first music festival ever on Mars, mm-hmm. and you got to book five artists, oh, this is dead or alive, okay. yeah, dead or alive, who would be the first five artists you would book? Mm, dead or alive? I can have dead people. Yeah, on Mars, you can go back and forth in space oh, okay. Time. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have John Prine, I'm going to have Gillian Welch, um... Who am I going to have up there? Who am I going to have up there? John Prine, Gillian Welch. Um, you know, I'd probably have Emily Harris and uh, what was his name? The guy that she sang with um, who died long, long time ago. 
Man, they sang good together. I would go with them, too. And I think I'd also have uh, Jimi Hendrix. I'd have Jimi Hendrix up there. Why not? Yeah, I mean, if you can. Uh, The Beatles. We'd have the Beatles, too. Yeah, the Beatles. All right, the Beatles could play one album in its entirety. Which album? Uh, Revolver. I think I'd go with Revolver. No, no, the White Album. I'd go with the White Album. I would, I would see that lineup. We're doing this thing uh, this weekend on the internet where we're creating our own music festival for three days with 18 artists playing from 2 to 5 p.m. on our Facebook Live. I don't know if anyone's going to tune into it. We're calling it Sway at Home Fest. Mm-hmm. But um, I think if we do it again, I would love for you to be our our European expat performer. Okay. In your studio. I know you don't I know you don't play live a lot, but you could do it at your own house in the way that you like. Okay, I do it in my studio here. Like I like I did the video I gave you. Did you did you look at the video yet? I'm gonna download it when I get off. Oh, okay. But, uh, okay. So you so you did a little video of uh, the song Born a Worm, right? I did Born a Worm and then in the background. Well let me I'm gonna turn the camera around here and show you okay. Where I did it. Wait a minute. Can you see that? Yeah. Okay, there's my green. That's my green screen wall right there. I just painted the wall green. You can see that, I guess. So yeah. I can So I can green screen stuff. And then um, I just did sort of a tour of the studio here in the background. Like just going every which way. I mean, I have to say for an older dude, you are technologically advanced, much more advanced than many older dudes that I know. <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? You have to. Actually, a friend of mine gave me a computer way back when, my first computer with uh, Windows 3.0 on it. It was an old 286. Okay. You know, 286 uh, and then that's how I right. end up. That's how I end up being in making music. I took that thing. It was a, they had a, a the housing had these two buttons on the side, and you open it up like you open the hood of a car. And so it was easy to change out the motherboard. So I got a three eighty six motherboard that wasn't fast enough. And then I finally became a musician when I bought and installed a Pentium one hundred. That made it possible. How how old were you when you actually decided that you were Technically, a professional musician. Uh, I'm not really a professional musician still. I don't think. I mean, my brother. Sure, you are. All right, my brother is a professional musician. He sings at Disneyland. Okay. Um, okay. And I know some. I know other professional musicians, and they. Uh, some of them are a little bit irritated that uh, that people call me a musician because. These people spent their lives practicing five hours a day <laughs> and stuff like that, and I just didn't do that. Like, I'm not a very good guitar player, you know? I mean, I play the guitar because it's something I can do, and I'm, I'm a terrible piano player, but you can do enough. But that doesn't, that doesn't cut it with the real professionals. It gets sort of... And I understand that, too. They're, gonna, they're like... They spent all that time and energy learning how to play their instrument well, and then I come along... And uh, everybody claps, and I can play the three chords that I can play. Yeah, but I think you've created a vision of the world through your music that is honestly second to none. It's more, I think, more of a 
a poet's life and a, maybe a poet's view of the world and that these short story songs that you have okay, I'm gonna tell you what can I, really I'm gonna, encapsulate. I'm going to have to tell you what I tell my wife. I'm like 10% poet. To be a real poet, you have to be like 100%. And I'm 10%. Uh-huh. And that's like pretty good. <laughs> what's, the, what's the other 90%? Man, I don't have that. That's the difference between me and a, and a real poet, that other 90%. Dylan Thomas had the 100. You know, some guys got the 100, I got 10, and it's pretty good. 10's pretty good. Yeah, but if we go to your song, Born a Worm, right, we're taking this very simple concept of a worm spins a cocoon, goes to sleep, and wakes up a butterfly. Okay, see, the, right? the poetry in that is goes to sleep. Because do they go to sleep? They actually fucking dissolve in there. They dissolve and then they reform in there. That's fucking weird. I mean, it is kind of amazing that that happens, right? But go to, go to sleep. They don't actually go to sleep, do they? <laughs> That's, yeah. No, but the poetry for me is not any of that. We know that the cocoon happens and the butterfly emerges. It's the narrator asking, what the fuck is that about? Right. Yeah. Like, what is that, and why is that occurring, and who made that possible? It's almost like you're questioning God, or sort of the force behind everything. Who are you questioning? We're not mentioning God in there at all, but it is a pretty weird thing to happen. Who do you think you're asking in that in that song? The universe. Yeah, I'm asking how. Who came up with this idea? Yeah. Do you think the universe is governed by a magnanimous? force or is it complete chaos that has beauty within it? I don't know. In your gut, what do you think is the truth? In my gut, I think everything is alive. I like that. Well, I think we should take people out with your wonderful song, Born a Worm. And honestly, the more I kept humming that to myself the last few days, it made me want to listen to Harry Belafonte because it, it in some way harkens to the Banana Boat song to me, which I love. It's it's like a, you know, sad to say I'm on my way, won't be back for many a day. But you're asking why? Why is that boat not coming back for many mm. a day? <laughs> I actually sing "Born a Worm" when I wash my hands because it's about the right length for that. Born a worm, spins a cocoon, goes to sleep, wakes up a butterfly. Oh what the fuck? Oh here we go. I got that. I got a little note from my wife there wanting to know when I'd be home. She's probably going to make something for dinner. Well, I'm glad that we could connect over the oceans via telecommunications. And I'm not noticing noticing such a lag either. Like it seems... No, it's not bad. It's almost normal, like I'm talking to you on the phone or something. Well, I will say once again how much your music has meant to me over the years. Um, It is sort of an automatic... uh, pill of joy that is inserted in me whenever it turns on because it it somehow connects the hopelessness and the hope of life in one place and i'm so glad that you are still creating music and i will be there for it every step of the way okay good talking to you yeah man well uh maybe if we ever are allowed to return to Germany. We were supposed to go back to Europe and play music this summer, but that's all canceled. So one day, 
we'll go to the pub and have a beer. Yeah, come by Nuremberg. All right, man. Okay. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Born a worm, spins a cocoon, goes to sleep, wakes up a butterfly. Oh, what the fuck is that about? What the fuck is that about? Born a worm, spins a cocoon, goes to sleep, wakes up a butterfly. Oh, what? What the fuck is that about? Born a worm, spins a cocoon, goes to sleep, wakes up a butterfly. Oh, what the fuck is that about? What the fuck is that about? goes one of my all-time favorite humans dan reader you can go to danreader.com for his music i would say his tour dates but the man has almost never toured and uh we're not allowed to tour right now so that's not a thing he does sell his paintings on there though you should support him in that way but mostly listen to his music especially his new record every which way it just came out in june on oh boy records and as I mentioned earlier, if you go on our Instagram, at Show on the Road Podcast, you'll find the video he did in his studio for Born a Worm. And if you head over to our new website, theshowintheroad.com, you'll see videos from previous artists like Jamestown Revival, who did a song in their tour bus right before the whole pandemic shut down. And if you have nothing to do this weekend, because you probably shouldn't, do not go outside and party with your friends. It's bad for you. You can go online and watch our Suede Home Music Fest 3. Yes, Dust Bowl Revival is putting on a virtual music fest for the third time. It includes artists that have been on the show like Gabby Moreno and Dom Flemons and Bobby Rush and Kinsey from the Wild Reeds. There's going to be a really, really cool lineup there, guys. So please check it out starting at 3 p.m. Pacific time, Friday and Saturday, July 10th and 11th. And at the very end on Saturday, My Gang Dust Bowl Revival will have a brand new set with a special guest, LaShawn Haley, singing with us. Can't wait to see you online. And not like you were asking, but I'm going to give you a podcast recommendation. Another music podcast that I've really gotten into is called Decomposed with Jade Simmons. It's from American Public Media. And she dives into the historical wanderings of classical music and the composers that we know and love. Man, I learned some crazy things about Schumann and his wife. Listen to it now, Decomposed with Jade Simmons. 
That's it for me. Thank you again for listening. I really hope you can share this with your friends, review us on iTunes, all that jazz, and as always, support the bands and the songwriters you love. The Show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love The Show on the Road, please leave us a review or rating over at iTunes.com slash show on the road. Tell your friends, and also be sure to check out BGS's ever-growing collection of podcasts up right now on the bluegrasssituation.com. The Show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lubiton. See you on the trail. <laughs>